Good morning and welcome to Kale and Company Live for a Wednesday. Great to have you along with us on a chilly, chilly Wednesday morning, but we'll try to warm it up for you. And uh, joining us today on the program is a, a very familiar voice to WKXL listeners. It's the award-winning co-host, along with Paul Hodes here on WKXL, uh, Beyond Politics, Monday through Friday, 4 to 6, right here on these great radio stations, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and uh, streaming around the world, around the clock, at nhtalkradio.com. We speak of Matt Robeson. Matt, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm ex- I'm so excited! I'm beside myself. You you're beside yourself. Absolutely. You're, you're, I, well, usually I'm beside Paul, or I used to be beside you. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm 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 just amped up to talk about the NBA and specifically about the Celtics. So um, you know, this is like this is like early Christmas for me. Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy to hear that. And and today uh, we're we're going well beyond politics because we are yeah. talking about the. Uh, 2022-23 Boston Celtics, the NBA in general, and it is great to have you with us, uh, Matt Robeson, and uh, the Celtics certainly opened their season in fine fashion last night, a 126-117 victory over the Philadelphia 76ers at TD Garden, but it, it all started with, uh, I, I thought, a, a very uh, a moving tribute to uh, the late, great Bill Russell. Yeah, I have to say the the six outlines, it, kind of the ghostly white outlines that they put in the paint area on the floor, it really did feel like there's an ethereal presence that is hanging over the Boston Garden. And, well, I guess they call it the TD Center now, but in my mind, it's still Boston Garden. Of course it and is. It, it, it just, I don't know, I have this odd, superstitious, I mean, regular listeners on Beyond Politics know that I'm highly analytical. I'm very data-driven, but I have a, um, uh, you know, this isn't data at all. I, I just have this feeling that there's sort of a presence. There's a Bill Russell touch over this season. It was, it was sort of, um, you know, it, it, it was sort of a moving uh, element to this, and I, I hadn't really anticipated that, but uh, quite amazing. Yeah, it uh, really and truly was. Uh, Jalen Brown spoke to the crowd before the game uh, last night, but it was a, a very moving uh, tribute. And, of course, uh, Bill Russell's uh, number six will uh, be worn by every NBA player all season. And that number now, just like Jackie Robinson's in baseball, has been uh, permanently retired by the NBA. Well-deserved. I mean, really, one of the most influential, sneakily influential Americans of the last half century, the latter part of the, of the 20th century, and, uh, you know, a, a, a deserved tribute. You know, I am so glad that I'm old because uh, I, I I grew up when when <laughs> really? I actually yes I am because I, I I grew up when I could actually take a train into North Station, see the Boston Celtics play for two dollars and watch you know amazing players like Bill Russell. I mean I I feel badly for the kids today. The ticket prices are so prohibitive these days, and it's uh, tough to get a ticket. Uh, even if you have the money for it. Uh, but uh, when, when I grew up, you know, the Celtics were winning championship after championship, 
and and Bill Russell, Tommy Heinsohn, Satch Sanders, KC and Sam Jones, Havlicek, you name it. I mean, it was it was such a blast, and uh, you know, I, I just uh, I'm so glad that I was able to experience that era of Boston Celtics basketball because uh, it, it was uh, something that I, I cherish forever. So, at any rate, that being said, uh, Celtics last night, uh, you know, Jalen Brown, 35 points, Jason Tatum, 35 points. And you know, Matt, that's only the third time in the history of NBA openers that teammates have scored 35 or more points in a game. It was really quite something, and I don't know if I find it, you know, the, the raw numbers more encouraging or the fact that for the most part, they were scoring off of the, the kinds of, of ball movement, um, you know, circling the ball, getting good off-ball action, and then recycling the ball back to one of those shooters that Ime Udoka was trying to put in place all last season and then successfully kind of took off in the latter half of the season. That's not to take away from some of the individual brilliance, especially of Jason Tatum. Look, he, he made some great individual plays, but <clears throat> what did we see? For the most part, they were driving the ball. Uh, when they were taking threes, they were taking open threes that were coming off of cycling the ball, uh, you know, getting penetration inside and then, out, you know, dishing it outside for, for good, solid open shots. And we didn't see Jalen Brown. Sorry, Jalen, I love you. We didn't see him fumbling the ball away constantly like we last did, leaving such a Indeed. bitter taste in yep. our mouth in yep. the NBA playoffs. So I thought their individual performances were extremely encouraging, especially yep. after Tatum came off of a two-for-18 three-point shooting performance across the preseason. Now, look, it's preseason. We don't want to overreact to the preseason, but... You know, that was that was something I was keeping an eye on. Uh, obviously, kind of got off that schneid last night. So, um, very encouraging. No no doubt about that. And, uh, of course, the Celtics won 51 regular season games in 2021-22. And the wise guys in Vegas are saying the over-under this year is 53-and-a-half wins for the Celtics during this uh, regular season, which is the most they project for any NBA team. So I guess I would have to ask you, uh, are the Celtics the best team in the NBA? I can't quite get over my, you know, last season was, it was like a, it it truly was like a, like a bit of a fever dream. You know, we were 25 and 25. All of a sudden, Udoka makes some adjustments. Well, the biggest adjustment, of course, was no offense to Dennis Schroeder or Josh Richardson. It was, it was the lineup change. It was addition by subtraction. B- bringing, taking them out, bringing White in, and moving Robert Williams off the primary matchup at center position to more of a corner position where he could be more of a roving pre-safety kind of uh, defensive presence in the paint, unlocked all of their defensive potential. And they go on that run, right? And then we had these these glorious few months where it was just, it was almost like a pitcher on a no-hitter, and you don't want to talk about it. Right, because right. it seems like it can't possibly be real. And there we are. We're up 2-1 in the final. We're up in that 
fourth game. And then it all evaporated. It yep. was like waking up and discovering that you've fallen out of bed, you're on the floor, um, you know, and you're hungover. And so your question is, are they the best team? My answer to you is, if I stare at the numbers, there's no good reason to say, no, they, you know, they're, they're, of course they're the best team. But I can't quite get over that feeling that last season was a little bit of a dream. Now, look, this is the most wide-open NBA season in living memory. I, I literally cannot remember a time where the, the chances were so open, and I can credibly say that there are six to eight teams that, you know, I could squint and say, you know, they've got a legit chance here. I mean, Vegas agrees. You've got the Bucks, Celtics, Clippers, Warriors, Nets, Suns, 76ers, Heat, Nuggets. That's just kind of that inner circle, you know, let alone some of the longer shots, the, your, your Grizzlies and your Mavericks. So, you know, are they the best? They, all of these teams have questions hanging over them. The Celtics have the Robert Williams question hanging over them. That is a major, that's a major issue, um, kind of the, the, the most important element of their defense. No disrespect to Marcus winning Defensive Player of the Year, but after last night, if it's overreaction Wednesday, I boy am I am I encouraged one game. But you know they went up against a team that should have posed one of their biggest matchup problems, which is you know a dominant center, and they didn't have Robert Williams, and they held up. So if they're not number one, I'd say they're right there. Are you are you feeling the same way emotionally as I am about this? Like, no, I, you know, I, I really am because uh, what 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 they had last year, uh, I thought was kind of a, a Jekyll and Hyde season. Uh, I mean, uh, they they got off to a, a terrible start, as you uh, as you mentioned, and were under five hundred uh, in December at at one point. And then, you know, the ball movement got much better. Uh, they turned their fortunes around after the All-Star game. They were uh, the best team uh, in the NBA during the, the regular season, obviously advanced to the finals uh, in the postseason. Uh, but, you know, as the championship series, you know, got deeper and deeper, they, you know, reverted to what they were doing earlier in the season. So, uh, I mean... Uh, I hope they get over that, but uh, in order to become the best team and a championship team, they're going to uh, have to be a little bit more consistent, I think, than they were last year. And, uh, you know, last night hopefully will be uh, a good building block, and we'll see what happens uh, as the season uh, resumes. But, Matt, hold on. Stay right where you are because we are coming right back, and we'll do a little bit more Time Lord talk. Because uh, you mentioned Robert Williams III, and I, I think he is a very, very <clears throat> important part of this team, as you know. And we'll be back to talk more hoops with Matt Robeson of Beyond Politics right here. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We will be right back. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company on WKXL and HTalkRadio.com for a Wednesday morning. Matt Robeson with us from Beyond Politics. 
We're talking Boston Celtics basketball here today. And uh, Matt, I don't know if you agree with, agree with me or not, but to me, Robert Williams III, a.k.a. the Time Lord, is the third most important player on this team when he is healthy. That is, wow, that's a great, that's a great proposition. I would still say, I would still say that from an emotional leadership standpoint, Marcus Smart may have an edge. But in terms of what they do on the court, there's no doubt that Robert Williams provides an element that lifts this team from really good to championship level and is probably his, the fact that he was hobbled down the stretch was probably the single greatest factor in why they began to fall apart. He obviously provides the rim running, um, which opens up some of the motion offense that the Celtics are, are trying to, to get to when they're, that it's where they're at their best. When the ball is really popping around, he provides that interior threat. And then, you know, that off the main point of attack in the corner positioning where he can rove and provide a threat, you, you can really see it. I mean, look, last season, even with the mediocre start, the Celtics ranked second in the league in block, first in opponent's field goal percentage, first in two-point, opponent two-point percentage and three-point percentage. So you, you see the influence of Robert Williams. Those are statistics that you don't get because of outstanding defensive guard play. Again, not taking anything away from Marcus Smart or the other outstanding defenders on the Celtics. You get that because of that interior presence. Now, uh, you know, uh, there are elements that even with Robert Williams, the Celtics struggled with. Um, opponent offensive rebounding was a problem. And some of that is because you're giving up. When you put Robert Williams more in the corner, you give up his presence around the basket. You're going to give up more of those offensive rebounds. And the Celtics only ranked 19th last season in opponents' offensive rebounding. And they, they ranked only 10th in opponents' defensive rebounding. So there, there are elements for them to, cl- to clean up there. But there's no doubt that Time Lord is critical down the stretch for their championship aspirations. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, just an incredible shot blocker. I mean, and if he doesn't block a shot, he changes uh, many shots. I mean, I, I honestly believe that he is the best pure shot blocker that I have seen uh, with the Celtics since Bill Russell. I, I truly that, believe that. That is, I, I'd have to, whew, I'd have to go back, but I cannot. What about... The chief. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, no question. Robert Parrish was, you know, a, a very good shot blocker. But I, I think that uh, Robert Williams the third is is superior to Parrish in that aspect of the game. I, I really and truly do. You're probably right. I mean, Parrish was he was an intimidating interior presence, um, but you know, it was more about it was more about. The, it, he he had a feel of groundbound. I don't have the statistics in front of me. <clears throat> he definitely had a feel of more groundbound physicality to him. Robert Williams, it's all vertical. 
It is all the, the threat that he is going to jump out of the gym, catch the ball above your head, and grind it down into your face. Yeah, and and you know, from an offensive standpoint, the guy has pretty good hands as well. He, he really and truly does. I mean, great hands and, and a surprising touch out to ten feet. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So, I mean, to me, uh, I mean, if he could just stay healthy, uh, I mean, you would love to be able to see Robert Williams the third play an entire season, and he has not been able to do that. Uh, but uh, let's hope that uh, better health is on the way for him. And if he can get back, I guess uh, he had a shot of some kind uh, the other day, and now they're saying that perhaps he, he won't be back until the second half of the season. But as we all know, that is the most important part of the season anyway. Uh, well, and, you know, if there's, again, it's overreaction Wednesday, but if, if we can draw any encouragement from a sample size of one, we faced the most dominating physical presence of a center in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, all respect to, I mean, Giannis is, uh, he's not really a center. He's probably the, the overall most dominating physical presence at any position in the league. And Jokic is the most skilled all-around center in the league. But what we saw last night was the guy who can hurt the Celtics the most on the interior. Noah Vonley did okay. They were able to hold the fort. And what I thought I saw last night was a little bit of a, of a transition in defensive strength and intensity toward the guard spot. Because with Malcolm Brogdon in there, you now have another highly credible, highly able and switchable guard defender. And you saw Brogdon able to D up on Tyrese Maxey, able to D up on Tobias Harris. So he's, he's able, he has the size and the strength to guard multiple positions. And so we've traded off some interior defense for some additional strength in our perimeter defense. And so if we have a rotation at center that can just hold the fort, then we're we're going to be able to give Williams that breathing room to make it to the second half of the season and really do the recovery that he needs. Last night was encouraging. Vonley, we didn't get to see Luke Cornett. Um, we did see Blake Griffin, who, look, I mean, that guy, I, I, I sympathize with knee problems. I have knee problems. He is ground-bound, but he knows how to position himself. Um, you know, he's stout. He also has great hands. And then Grant Williams, who... You know, look, he did not have the size to D up on Embiid, but he moves his feet. He is a, he's very strong. He is also a very credible defender in there. So, you know, this multi-headed monster in, inside, that's, I, I guess, the biggest question of the first half of the season. If Grant Williams, Noah Vonley, Luke Cornett, Blake Griffin, and, and Cobb Gelly can provide a, a, a defensive rotation in there, in the interior that can just hold their own and they can lean on that extra strength of guard defense, then they can, they can make it through. But that's the big open question. You mentioned uh, Noah Vonley, and uh, he has certainly uh, been around the NBA for a while. Uh, born in Haverhill, Massachusetts, by the way, and uh, went to the New Hampton School in, in New Hampshire. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, by way of, is back with the Celtics now by way of China yeah. uh, last season. But look, you can see some baseline athleticism with him. You know, there's a reason that he was, I think he was, was he in the fifth draft pick in his, in his, uh, in his draft? I mean, you could see why he was a high draft pick. Yeah. He has athleticism. He has hands. He, he had a really nice, a really nice interior dribble around the basket, use his, his body and his hips to, to push and bead out, which is no small feat for a dunk last night. I, I, I'm encouraged. And again, there's a reason that he was playing in China last season, but, um, he can be credible. Oh, no doubt about it. Uh, by the way, uh, ninth pick in the first round, 2014. Ninth. Ninth, number nine. nine. So okay, there you yeah. go. Yeah. So well, you know the other thing that that you know bears if we're talking Celtics defense. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's their overall wing length between Tatum Brown. You know, we haven't even brought up Al Horford, right. um, who got some center minutes last night. Obviously, he's he's sort of the starting center there. Although ideally, they they want him at more of a four. Um, but I thought I thought Horford looked pretty spry last night and you know he's 36 years old um I, I thought he looked pretty good what did you think well from what I saw he, he looked terrific I mean uh he always seems I mean he was two for seven overall last night uh, from the field uh two out of five uh, the two hoops he hit were from three-point range but you know he always seems to come up with the big hoop when you need it the most, and uh, and, and you know that's from an offensive perspective. Uh, defensively, I, I think uh, he is is he's outstanding. You you know you say like Blake Griffin knows how to position himself. Uh, I don't think anybody does that better than Al Horford. Right, absolutely, and you you did see that in the rotations last night. This is a guy who knows where to go. And look, he also has still has a little pop on offense. He can do those driving, sweeping hooks to the basket. You saw one rim out last night. So, yeah, I was I was real encouraged. But that's another question hanging over the season. Can a 36-year-old uh, Al Horford kind of continue that kind of high-level performance? We shall find out. And we'll talk more with Matt Robeson of uh, Inside, uh, I should say, Beyond Politics. We're talking a little Inside Basketball here today, but uh, Matt and Paul Hodes, Beyond Politics, every day, Monday through Friday, 4 to 6, right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We will be right back with more Hoop Talk on this Wednesday. Kale and Company Live, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Kale and Company Live for a Wednesday, and we are joined today by award-winning journalist Matt Robeson, co-host of Beyond Politics here on WKXL, 4 to 6 on weekdays. But today we are well beyond politics. We are talking little NBA basketball, specifically the Boston Celtics. And uh, Matt, uh, how are the Celtics impacted, if at all, uh, by the suspension of head coach Ime uh, Udoka and uh, his replacement now, assistant Joe Mazzulla, has taken over, seemingly uh, well-liked uh, by the players, very respected as well for a guy, a guy as young as he is, only 34. Uh, what about that uh, that coaching situation? I believe in the impact of coaching, and I really liked everything that Ime put in last season. We've talked 
already about his emphasis on ball movement. Sometimes in previous seasons, as much as I admired Brad Stevens, the Celtics would get into a little bit of what looked to me like an egg beater type motion where the ball would pop around the outside, but never really into an area that bent the defense. They would, it would move, but without purpose. And what we began to see in the second half of last season was an offensive system based on penetration and really putting pressure on the defense that would bend them, force them into rotation, and that would lead to wide-open corner shots. And you saw it in some of the three-point percentages that went up for some of the you know auxiliary players on the team, like your Grant Williamses and, and Peyton Pritchards. Good shooters, but shooters who were being put in strong positions. And obviously, we also saw on the defensive end, like we've talked about, some adjustments that really unlocked the full defensive potential of the team. All of that being said, and as much as I admired what he may accomplished last season, Missoula is well-respected. He's only 34 years old, which makes me feel very unaccomplished in my life. But as much as you know, it's been harped on that he's a young coach, let's remember that to most of the players on the team, including the, the leaders of the team, he's old enough. They're, you know, 24, 26. Um, he's, he's still, he has the, the age and gravitas and experience. He's been with the team for a couple of years. He actually was an assistant under both Brad and Ime. Uh, and so, you know, the word is around the league, and, and, and maybe this is the Celtics kind of putting a brave face on this, but the, the word pretty consistently based on reporters who are, who are inside and talking to people on the team is they like him, they respect him, and the Celtics aren't missing a beat. So I was super worried about it because of the disruption. And, and But, you know, this, this could be, this is a very interesting psychological time for this team. A lot of young teams, and make no mistake, this is still a young team, especially in its superstars. It, a lot of young teams, it, it becomes a pivotal question. When you, when you hit a high point and then you fall short, what happens? Now you see a lot of teams really take a step back after a moment like that. Think about the Atlanta Hawks making the conference finals and then having a really off season last season. The Celtics are at that pivot point where the psychology of how they approach this season is going to be so, so critical. And they could take this as a moment of, we got there, we saw where we fell short, now we know we're ready to, to attack this season. And it seems like that's kind of their mindset, and they have faith in Missoula to kind of bring them together around that theme. So I'm cautiously optimistic, I would say. Well, I, I think you have every reason to be. You know, it's, it's funny, Matt. We will probably never uh, know all, all the details that went into the Ime Adoka uh, downfall, uh, but Here's the question, the million-dollar question. Uh, will we ever see Ime Udoka on the Boston Celtics bench again? I, boy, I, I think that's, I, I think we've got to give it a, a, a TBD. We have to because, you know, <laughs> we could end up in a Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe situation here, uh, right, where, you know, if the Celtics perform 
really well this season and make it to the championship again or, or you know, actually win it, boy, you know, it would be awfully hard for them to turn around and say, hey, Joe Missoula, thank you so much for your efforts back to the bench with you or, you know, go, go find greener pastures. Um, but if, if it's kind of a middling season, I, I really do think it will depend a little bit on how the season goes. Um, I will say this, it's, you know, obviously I come out of the, the politics realm and what you do find when you come off of, let's just call it a scandal. I, you know, it's, it's probably the best word for it, even though it's incomplete. When you come off of a situation like that, in the immediate aftermath, it takes a lot of adjustment. You know, Ime is the guy, and we, we admire Ime so much for what he accomplished as a coach last season. And it's so hard to kind of make the mental adjustment and see him as not the guy. But it's hard to project forward also a year out. And when you're talking a year out and getting used to a different coach, getting used to a different season and a different set of circumstances, Things begin to look different. Things things begin to change, and we begin to be able to imagine, like, oh, you know, maybe maybe Emate needs to go off and find greener pastures. So, I, I I don't know. I don't have an answer, but I I I think it is it is entirely possible that um, that he may be the one who has to move on. Yeah, I, I think the situation is going to be resolved uh, long before the, the NBA Finals, whether the Celtics mm. are in them or not. I think they'll uh, ultimately, uh, you know, come to an agreement and uh, just uh, go their separate ways. I, I, I really think that's the way it's, it's going to play out because, you know, there'll be questions. You know, you want to get rid of this, uh, you know, elephant in the room. Uh, there'll be questions all during the course of the regular season when they go into various cities and what have you uh, about Ime Udoka. No matter how well the Celtics might be playing, you're going to get reporters bring up the questions to the players and so on. And and I, I just think they're going to come to some kind of a, a, a resolution uh, long before the season comes to an end. I, I, I really and truly feel it's going to play out that way. You you really could be right, and there would be a lot of sense in that as well. In saying, "Look, let's let's make this a fresh start." And Ime has people around the league who like him, respect him. Remember, he you know he's he's been with the Spurs, he's been yeah. with several organizations. You know, there is a there is a kind of a coaching and front office tree that knows and respects Ime Udoka. Uh, I mean, look, we don't know all the details of what happened here, but uh, unless they're really egregious. Ime Udoka will have a job, and he may he may even want let's let's make a fresh start. Let's let's turn the page, um, you know. But it, I do think there will be an element in here of you know if the Celtics start to struggle, then you know who knows. Yeah, I, I my my firm belief is I I don't think we'll ever see him coaching the Boston Celtics again. But as you say, he is well respected. He did a terrific job. Last year with this team, I don't think there were too many people that thought the Celtics would be in the NBA Finals last year, and they were, and uh, you know they, you know didn't didn't do the complete job, but you know I think they surprised a lot of people, especially uh, given the start they had, the way they were able to turn it around, and I thought he did a great job, and it's just an unfortunate uh, set of circumstances that 
this had to be the case. But it looks like uh, Joe Missoula took over, uh, and it's a smooth transition, and we'll just see how it plays out. What What's the best thing, uh, Matt Robeson, that the Celtics did uh, in the offseason, the best move they made? Malcolm Brogdon, Malcolm Brogdon, Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> um, you know, uh, now, look, I, like I said before, every team in the top tier has questions hanging over them. Most of those questions have to do with injury and recovery from injury. And that's the reason why, if you look at the Las Vegas betting odds, the Celtics are not the, the favorite to win the NBA championship this season. The Bucks are. And the major reason is not just respect for Antetokounmpo. Of course, people respect him as the best all-around player in the game right now. It's also because they have the fewest questions hanging over them. They have continuity. They have skill. But the Celtics, the Celtics have maybe the second fewest questions. And if they can address the Robert Williams question, then bringing in Malcolm Brogdon, a player of his quality, and you saw it last night, right. could go a long way to propelling them to the next level. So... Um, that was, we can talk more about it, but I, I think last night showed the potential of that one move and what it can do to really bring things together for the team. I think you're uh, spot on with that, Matt Robeson, and uh, we will uh, take our basketball talk to a next level uh, right after we take a quick break here and make some money for WKXL and uh, NHTalkRadio.com. Matt Robeson is with us from Beyond Politics, and you'll hear that show this afternoon between 4 and 6 right here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Don't you dare touch that dial. We will be right back. Kale and Company Live. We're talking hoops today with Matt Robeson from Beyond Politics right here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com, Monday through Friday, 4 to 6, with his co-host, Paul Hodes, who will also be a guest on this program in the not-too-distant future. We have to give Paul uh, equal time on the show, uh, Matt, as you well know. Uh, so uh, Malcolm Brogdon, just you know, off the bench last night, 24 minutes, uh, 16 points, a plus nine, I, everything and more that you, you thought he would be as a member of the Boston Celtics. Right. The second biggest lingering question over the Celtics' heads this season is, they picked Brogdon up. He was available because he's injured so yeah, much. He's, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, he's played at least 75 games in a season, just once in his six years in the, in the league. And that's when he was a rookie. He, in the, the other five years, he's reached 60 plus games just once. And last year was the lowest ever at just 36. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. When he's good, he's really good. He ranked fourth in the entire league with 18 drives per game last season. And what did you see last night? Driving to the basket, that kind of putting pressure on the defense with drives, which unlocks the entire Celtics offense. It's not only good in itself, but if the drives don't materialize, you get these really nice dishes to the corner, ball rotation for good outside shots. He does a couple of other really important things for the Celtics. Last season... We ranked 24th out of the 30 teams in the season in pace. And that's something that Joe Missoula has emphasized in the preseason. Uh, they talked about it on the broadcast last night. 
trying to pick up the pace, trying to get out and run in transition. And you did see a little bit more of that last night, obviously something that Brogdon excels at. And then, of course, the other area that that he really helps you with is just handling and holding on to the ball. The Celtics were only 13th in the league last season in turnovers. I, I hate to even use that word, given the uh, ball cough-up ability that we <laughs> exhibited in the finals last season. Um, Jalen Brown, again, love you, Jalen, but man. Um, but Malcolm Brogdon is a sure hand with the ball, not particularly turnover-prone. And so you saw all of those things come together in that game last night. It's one game. It's not, you know, definitive for the season. But that's why I think the Celtics were really high on that fit. And uh, so far, so good. Yeah, no doubt about that. You mentioned Milwaukee. Many feel they are the uh, odds-on choice to challenge uh, Golden State for the the championship this year coming out of the Eastern Conference. But uh, who else? uh, Do you think Brooklyn can finally uh, put it all together? I mean, if they get a a full season out of Kyrie or at least a semi-full season out of him and, and Durant, and uh, all the other elements they have. Ben Simmons uh, uh, will be back, we, we presume, uh, for you know maybe 40 games or so, whatever. Uh, but at any rate, uh, Brooklyn, can they put it all together? Um, I, I would not bet on that proposition. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but it's because, you know, in Vegas terms, it would, it would seriously be the kind of thing that should almost come off the board because, too much uncertainty. I was referring to those lingering questions hanging over the heads of all the top teams in the league. No more so than for the Brooklyn Nets, who have more return from injury questions than anyone else. You know, Kyrie Irving, his mindset is is really the question there. Ben Simmons, combination of mindset. And I'm not making light of, of a mental health situation. That's as much a serious injury as the kind of traditional physical injuries that we're used to talking about. But in that vein, a, a back injury is, is no joke. Um, you know, and so look, I mean, on paper, this is the sort of the joke about the, the Nets is that they're the on paper, they're the Brooklyn on papers on paper. They have as much top end talent as anybody in the league, but you know, and then you start to go down the roster, their shooters all have, uh, various injuries, Seth Curry, you know, foot, you know, foot injuries, and um, you know, and they lost some. So they lost Bruce Brown. You know, they lost some critical elements as well. Is Claxton going to uh, provide the presence in the middle that they need? They just have so many questions. So, sure, it's possible they might be the best team in the East. If you told me that they were the best team in the East, I would say, okay, I could see that. But I wouldn't bet it. Not a chance. Not not with that group of, of players and, and their histories for sure. Do you think there's going to be, and, and I, I tend to believe there is going to be, uh, quite a bit of tanking in the NBA this season because there is such a big prize uh, this time around, literally and figuratively, <laughs> when it comes to the NBA draft in Victor Wembanyami or Benyama. Victor Wembanyama, have to get uh, used to saying that, out of France, 7'3", can play point guard if you wanted him to, Uh, you know, watching some of the highlights of him. There's such a a big prize to be had 
for the team that has the number one draft pick. I think we already know who it's going to be. Uh, San Antonio, Houston, Utah, among those rumored to be the biggest tankers coming up in the NBA. You, you think we'll see a lot of that? I think you're t- entirely right, and I, I would just mention two things. One is that it matters a lot that there are... Wembenyama is obviously the big prize, but people who study prospects for a living say don't sleep on Scoot Henderson right. as, yep. as a number two. Yep. And, and the dynamic of having two aces at the, stacked at the top of, of that draft, that changes the dynamics because, remember, the NBA flattened the odds for, dra- for, for, for draft equity. And now it's the top four teams who all get a 14% chance in the draft lottery. And so if you're tanking, in order to bank on that one shot to get the one guy, it's 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 a dicey proposition because it is by by definition a long shot. It's still a one in seven chance that you're going to pull that number. Two is two times more than one. I know that sounds trite, but like you know the the fact that you're doubling your odds of getting an absolute blue chip top flight prospect makes a big difference. I think it, what it won't change is the teams at the very, very bottom of the league. Um, you know, they were going to be tanking anyway. They were going to be bad anyway, your, your San Antonio's and Oklahoma City's. What it might change is some of the decision-making around teams kind of on that shoulder zone of the play-in tournament. And if you're getting to that range, around January or February and you know before the trade deadline and you're saying look we could make a push for the play in but should we is that really what's in our best interest you know there're going to be a few teams that are going to pull the plug maybe someone will have an unexpected injury injury they're having a worse season than they expected that's how the spurs ended up with Tim Duncan right david robinson was injured they're having an off season and they ended up with a, with the top draft pick i think you will see a few more teams that will make the decision and say, look, we can, we can execute a trade, we can shut a guy down, and we can enter this sweepstakes for one of those two top guys. I think you will see that, and you'll see more teams enter the tank zone. Yeah, especially with the two blue chippers at the uh, top of the draft class. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, that increases your odds just a little bit there. Uh, Zion Williamson, love to see him play uh, a regular season. I think he's m- one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA, when he's healthy. How many times do we have to say that? When he's healthy. But uh, Zion, it would be wonderful to see him play close anyway to a full season. I can't understand why the Pelicans are behind teams like the Hawks and the Cavs and the Mavs in Vegas' appraisal of their their championship odds. I, I do not understand it. Brandon Ingram has shown that he is at the very least an all-star level, if not scratching the outside of, of the all NBA uh, type level of player. Um, McCollum, um, their, their bench is filled out nicely. And yes, Zion, when he is at the, the tail end, obviously he missed last season, but at the tail end of the previous season, when they were in point Zion mode, my goodness, there, there's really never been a player with his level of physicality. I mean, you could 
you could make some comparisons to, you know, obviously LeBron is a is a is an all time physical specimen, and and his when he's getting downhill driving to the basket cannot be stopped. Shaq, um, you know, Barkley had that kind of physicality, but with the explosiveness and the speed and the ball handling and the and the court vision, no, you haven't seen a package like that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. But again, like you said, Ken. It's that same question hanging over all of these teams. It's that health question. And that's why this is, this is the most exciting NBA season start that I can remember because there are so many teams we haven't talked about. I mean, what about those Grizzlies? What about the Nuggets? You know, I, I mean, there's so many teams that could, that could, could, could do it. And it's wide open and just it's going to be a fantastic season. And, and how bad are the Lakers going to be? We'll, we'll find out, I guess. Huh? <laughs> but, um, but very, I love very it. bad. But I love it. Hey, Matt, we'll have to do this again real soon because we, you know, so much that we uh, talked about, but so much we did not talk about. So uh, we'll do it again real soon, I hope. But Matt Robeson, thank you so much. We uh, really appreciate it. Always my pleasure. All right, Matt. You'll be hearing them again this afternoon, 4 to 6, Beyond Politics, right here, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Thanks for listening today, and have a great Wednesday, everybody.